You're listening to Inside the Park with Marky Mark. Hey, yo, what's up? This is me, Marky Mark. And now, coming at you live from the Massachusetts Daily Collegian, here's your host, Mark Jean-Louis. And welcome back to another episode of Inside the Park. Today we're on our Thursday edition. We're the only podcast here in the Pioneer Valley that covers all the bases. I'm your host, Mark Jean-Louis. To my right, Massachusetts Daily Collegian sports correspondent, Jesse Corzin. I almost called you Jesse Mayfield Sheen. We have... We have another guy that used to work here at the Massachusetts Daily Collegian. Had his name was Jesse Mayfield. But this is Jesse Corzin to my right, uh, the correspondent for the women's lacrosse team. Jesse, good to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me, Mark. Now, I, I guess before we start off the show, one of the fun parts about being a college student is the ever so frustrating experience of having to do your laundry. And this morning, um, well before we got into the show, that's what I've had to go experience with. I decided to wait until I'm down to my absolute last clean outfit, last clean shorts, last clean pair of socks, last clean shirt, before I decided, okay, well, I have to go do laundry. There were clothes in the bottom of my hamper that I thought I had lost six months ago, and before you know it, yep, you're turning up again. So with that, do you have any funny laundry stories that you would like to tell everyone? You know, Mark, no one likes laundry. It's really <laughs> my, the, the worst thing uh, of my week. I try and do it once a week, honestly. Um, Pretty much my rule is once I have no more underwear, that's when I do it. So uh, I, I, I would <laughs> hope you're doing it once you have no <laughs> exactly. more underwear. Exactly. So once I find my last underwear, that's the night I'm doing my laundry. Ah, uh, yes. I mean, I mean, fortunately, I've had plenty of underwear to go around, so I, at least I wasn't walking around having everyone sniff all that dirty laundry. <laughs> but, you know, it's like I, I, I always try to tell myself, once every two weeks or so, I'll try to get my laundry done, and then, I, and then the end of two weeks will come, and I see, like, oh, I still have some clean outfits left. Okay, that's fine. I'll just go over, like, I'll just wait for, until the next time to do my laundry. And then another two weeks pass by. It's like, oh, well, I only wore that outfit it's once. The, it's, it's, the dreaded, can, it's the dreaded thing of everyone's week, month, and anything. I, I mean, I guess it wouldn't be so bad because, I mean, if I go home and do my laundry, it's perfect. But, you know, the fact that I'm going here, I mean, I, I live in an apartment, and my apartment's laundry facilities, they're just terrible. Oh, yeah. the, the, the washer, the dryer, you feel like you're spending all your... The entire day doing your laundry. Exactly. They've had those those laundry dryers for about, what, 40, 45 years. <laughs> I think it's time to replace them. But let's not bore everyone with our dirty laundry. Let's actually get into the show let's with what started. we wanted to talk about today. And our first topic of the day is, of course, what's been the first topic of the show for a number of weeks now, the Kentucky Wildcats. And... Aside, no, I'm not going to spend, you know, the next five minutes, you know, just griping about how they lost in the final four to Wisconsin. I finally let myself get over that. But instead, a couple days after the national championship, seven, yes, I repeat that, seven Kentucky players have declared for the NBA draft. And if all those seven players do get selected in the NBA draft, that will set a modern-day NBA record. So, Jesse, let me start with, let me start asking you with this question. As far as these seven Kentucky players, who do you think should have stayed and who do you think it makes sense for them to go? You know, Mark, it's, it's a great question, uh, honestly. As a, as a college student, you love seeing your, your uh, college players stay. Mm -hmm. uh, but in this aspect, they really got to look out for some of their, their, their family members, which is, which is a big thing that I, I think played here. Uh, I think you got, you got a guy like uh, Towns. I think he's a no-brainer. He's going top yep, three. Um, compared to, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge, he's, he, he really could be a, a great NBA player. He didn't put up numbers like Jaleel Okafor. Uh, but I do think he's ready for the NBA. Um, you got, you know, Cauley Stein. I think that's another good idea for him to go. He's a defensive threat. Um, he's been in college for three years playing, so I think that's a good move as well. Um, you got a guy like Devin Booker, uh, shooting guard. The kid could hands down, you know, shoot. 
Uh, compare him to guys like Danny Green, Wesley Matthews. Um, you know, obviously not yet, but he could be reach that caliber. I would have loved to see him stay, but I think it was a good move. And that's why I'm going to have to disagree with you on that one. Not for the first two, of course, you know, Carl Anthony Towns. At times, I thought he was better than Jaleel Okafor. Not, not for the entire season, of course, but at times, I thought he was. So he's going to be a top three. That's a no-brainer. Willie Cauley-Stein, not necessarily just because he's one of the best players in college basketball. He is, but also because he's a junior. Normally, Kentucky players don't last all the way till exactly. their junior year, but... They have a whole bunch of one-and-dones going through that program. But with Devin Booker, I mean, I thought at the beginning of the season, I loved what he was doing. It feels like every single time that he would get the ball and shoot a three-pointer, I, I didn't even have to watch it. It was just almost a guarantee that Devin Booker would make that three-point shot. But, you know, then we got towards the latter part of that regular season. And I remember I was watching those Kentucky games. He started missing some of those three-point shots. And I'm asking myself, eh, I mean, Devin Booker, he's a freshman here. And, you know, John Calipari, he decided to use that platoon system this year, so not all these players are going to get the minutes or, you know, the offensive stats that they want. And given the fact that I thought, well, not even that I thought, that Devin Booker was a backup on the platoon system, mm -hmm. I'm thinking, is this really the best decision for him to go now? Because, you know, think about it. If he stays, you're already thinking that the Harrison Twins are going to leave just because they're sophomores and really nothing else because of that. But, I think, but you think about that. If Devin Booker stays for another year... He's almost guaranteed a starting spot in the backcourt with Tyler Eulis. And there were times during the season where I thought that, you know, Booker and Eulis were a better backcourt, actually, than the Harrison Twins, which people talk about all the time. So I thought he should have stayed. Yeah, no, I definitely think he would have been a dominant uh, player once again. Would have been a good idea if he stayed. Uh, but I do think he, he could be NBA ready. Um, as far as the Harrison Twins, you know, looking at Andrew Harrison, decent size for a point guard. But can he really stick with some of the elite point guards that are in the NBA? I really don't think so. I think he definitely should have stayed, been another dominant point guard in college basketball along with his brother. Uh, would have hoped they'd stay together, of course. Um, you know, I think he's got decent side as well, but can he really be a successful NBA player? I don't know. Um, he definitely struggles a little bit creating his own shot, which is definitely something that they need to do to be a successful shooting guard. And, in the you know, NBA. I mean, one of the big things about Kentucky was I felt like, you know, people were raving about them all of last year when Kentucky decided to start five freshmen that year. This season they decided to go to platoon system. But last year everybody was raving about the Harrison Twins, and everybody was thinking that after their national championship loss against UConn that, that Aaron Harrison and Andrew Harrison were just going to be an automatic lock for the NBA. And... I guess what really shook, what really kind of shocked everyone was that they decided to come back for their for their sophomore years actually. But you look at their sophomore season, and I think to both of them it was a really disappointing season. I mean, not of course, not only because they didn't win the national championship, they didn't even make it there, but also because you look at almost every single offensive category, they they dropped, especially in the case of Aaron Harrison. And given that, even even though Aaron Harrison as was still like the better performing twin of the two. You never really know about Andrew Harrison. I feel like people thought that the twin, the Harrison Twins were eventually going to be first-round draft picks. They're clearly going to be second-round draft picks now. I think that they should come back for another season, try to improve themselves so that they can try to elevate themselves, possibly back to first-round status. And possibly even get that, that championship that they were hoping for. Right. Uh, you know, the last one we come to, uh, Dakari Johnson. He's a big boy, standing at seven feet tall. Um, you know, he could be compared to you know NBA player Nene. Um, I do think right. he, he, he is a good player, um, but I do think he should have stayed as well. Um, you know, 
you hate seeing so many guys leaving, and, and, and I think if he, if he d did stay, they de the Kentucky team definitely would have benefited from him as well. And, you know, my quick take about Dakari Johnson, he was another player that people would, would think that was going to go to the NBA last season too. But I guess what's really interesting about Dakari Johnson was that he came back for his sophomore year as well, was a backup also in the platoon system behind Carl uh, Anthony Towns and Willie Cauley-Stein, and still improved on offensive categories. But I still feel like it wasn't enough, only 6.4 points a game, 4.6 rebounds a game. And I think if he were to come back for his junior season, he would still be in the starting lineup because I, I, I really don't think John Calipari is going to go back to that platoon system this season, even though it worked really, really well last season. And so I really think that Dakari Johnson, he should have spent at least you know just one more year in college. He did a, a tremendous job going from his freshman year to his sophomore year, lost a ton of weight, about 20 pounds, was a lot more versatile, but... Is the NBA ready yet? I personally didn't think so. We'll have to see what Kentucky does, though, as far as next season goes. Exactly, yeah. I mean, he's got great size, above average uh, athleticism, but we'll see what happens. Yep, and, you know, I know we're out of time for this segment, but, you know, just uh, three quick uh, notes for next season. They got five-star guard Isaiah Briscoe. They got a five-star center, Scal Labossier, 6'11", 210, kind of runs of that slim build like New Orleans Noel a little bit. And, of course, they have another guard. 6'5", 175, Charles Matthews out of Chicago. So we'll see what Kentucky does next season. Moving along now to the NBA, and our topic again takes us right back to Chicago. It's Derrick Rose. He's back from his injury. Again, he's healthy. Again, he can play. Again, we don't know how long for, but you know we'll hold our, we'll hold our most positive hopes that he'll be on the court for the long foreseeable future. But that all being said, the NBA playoff picture is about to finally be put firmly into place as we move ahead into Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So, Jesse, let me ask you this question. With Derrick Rose back in the lineup for the Chicago Bulls, how far do you think that the Chicago Bulls team can go in the playoffs? You know, Mark, I, I do love Derrick Rose, and I wish I could talk about him being like a Russell Westbrook kind of guy. They're both so athletic, but... He, we all you know, would love that matchup. With, with his injuries, it's just so hard to, to know what he's capable of and how, how healthy he could stay. Um, as far as the playoffs, um, you know, the Bulls have been doing a great job, you know. Agreed. Uh, playing this season. They got a guy like Jimmy Butler, candidate for the most improved player. He could shoot all over the place, you know, jump, jump backs, fadeaways, doesn't matter. He could drive to the basket, finish strong, block shots. And I really think having a guy like Jimmy Butler will really help Derrick Rose come back. Um, having a guy like that offensive threat, it takes pressure off of Derrick Rose, which is going to really um, help him get back, shake some rust off, and, and so forth. Um, the Bulls, you know, they have a great set of, of exceptional big men, Pau Gasol, Joakim Noah, Taj Gibson, rookie Nikola Meredith. Uh, Gasol's got the championship experience. Noah's reigning defensive MVP, finished fourth in the polls, and NBA MVP. They really have a, a, a strong base. Taj Gibson, six, uh, runner-up in the sixth man of the year. Placing Derrick Rose in this team, they really should do well. The skill set that they have, I could really see them going far. It depends on who they're playing and whatnot. But they really do have a great squad, and they really need to help Derrick Rose get back into it catch him up to the system and see what they could do with, with, a, with a healthy Derrick Rose. And, you know, yeah, I just have to, you know, just sort of just go back in my mind and turn the clock back a little bit. I mean, once Derrick Rose went down with that injury earlier this season, we were, we were hearing a lot of experts out there saying that, you know, this could possibly be the end of the Chicago Bulls. Some of them were even saying that Chicago wouldn't make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Some were even more bold enough to say that Chicago wouldn't even make it to the playoffs this year without Derrick Rose, but... 
I mean, you look at Chicago, I mean, that's a team right now, I believe that they're on the brink of 50 wins right now for the regular season. And so even without Derrick Rose, the rest of the team, Jimmy Butler, Aaron Brooks, and the rest of the crew you were talking about, I feel that they realize that, okay, we can't always depend on, ter- on Derrick Rose to bring us to the promised land. We're going to have to help ourselves here. And they did absolutely just that. Against right now sitting in the third seed, for now, they're sitting in the third seed. And I, I guess really the question is now, though, is not even so much about what Derrick Rose can do for this team because we all know that Derrick Rose can't be it go he can't go out there and be the Derrick Rose that we're used to seeing. He's gonna hurt himself again and then who knows when he'll be able to come back, but just how will the Chicago Bulls respond to playing in the playoffs without Derrick Rose? Mm-hmm. That's sort of like an interesting question to ask, but that's really the question we're trying to ask ourselves here. Yeah, exactly. And you know, once once Rose went down, guys stepped up. You know, Noah, who's you know pretty much known for his incredible defensive play, mm-hmm. he's being a great offensive threat. Gasol has been a you know offensive and a de- defensive threat. You know, adding him as another seven footer, allowing Noah to you know his stats have gone down, but I still think he's having a great season. He. He's, you know, the, the the Bulls as a whole, they're a very unselfish organization. Mm-hmm. They understand that it's not about stats. They want to win. And having Derrick Rose healthy again, they really need to ease him back in it. You know, you see him, you know, limited minutes, but he but he is putting up numbers. He's getting steals. He, he needs to be that playmaker, but again, he can't hurt himself again. Um, like I said, I do see them. They possibly can go far in, in the playoffs depending on who they're playing. They're definitely going to win their first game, I think. The second second round, uh, you know, hopefully they're not, uh, you know, facing off against the Cavs. I'm sure they're rooting for the Celtics. I um, think we're all rooting for the Celtics here, <laughs> even this Knicks fan over here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I don't really have much to root for with, my, with, with the Knicks, but I really think the Bulls have some promise. Um, they could make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Do I think they could beat the Cavs? I don't know, but we will see how they're clicking. Um, again, it all depends on how, how Rose could, could help this team even more. They all stepped up without him, so hopefully with them back, they can in- improve even more. And, you know, that was also my question at hand. Looking into it, the best-case scenario is that the farthest I think that Chicago can go in this playoffs is the Eastern Conference Finals, where I think that they'll eventually get taken down by Cleveland. Because I'm thinking right now, Chicago as a fourth seed, assuming that they get past their first-round first round matchup against Washington, which they should have no problem you know, getting past that, but their second round matchup in the Eastern Conference semifinals, that will be against Atlanta. Now, I know Atlanta is, most of the season has been the number one seed in all the Eastern Conference, but I think as far as the teams that make the playoffs go, I think Atlanta, honestly, is the team that is most likely to get upset, if that makes sense to you, but, Mm -hmm. you know, if and as you know, Chicago. I think that Chicago has, like you said, I think Chicago has the players in place where they actually can go down to Atlanta and take four out of seven from them if this series goes seven games. And then you look at the other matchup, assuming that Chicago was a three seed, they should have no problem getting past their first round matchup against Milwaukee. But assuming something crazy doesn't happen, like Boston uh, beating Cleveland, like we were just talking about, they're going to have to go up against Cleveland in the second round. And if they do that. I think LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, and the crew. I think it's just too much for Chicago to handle, and I would have Chicago losing in the second round. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Mark. You know, I love the Bulls in this situation, but team on team matchup, they just, I don't see them matching up too well with with the Cleveland Cavaliers, and I think LeBron James, as well as Kyrie Irving, do not let them pass them. And, you know, as sports fans, I feel like we all love the 
the feel-good, heartfelt story. So I think you and I, best of luck to Chicago going into this NBA playoffs. Certainly I would like to see LeBron James lose, wouldn't you? Of course, yeah. Especially because he didn't come to my Knicks. Absolutely. We'll step aside, and when we come back, Ross Gianesco of the Massachusetts Daily Collegian joins the desk to talk some Minuteman baseball, a team that is on the brink of 500, and a team that will be playing Boston College in the Beanpop Championship at Fenway Park. Stay tuned. This is Inside the Park with Marky Mark. Hello and welcome to the newest edition of UMass Sports Weekly, your source for UMass sports. You look at an 0-3, but if they close out those last two games, they could be easily be 2-1. We could be having a completely different discussion. But another thing that he strategized on was defense, defense, defense. And the offensive line is finally stepping up this season. They've really showed that they can do what it takes to win a game. And you have Hoskinen who can swing up this way right into the slot while Eichel drives to the net creating a 2-1-0 in front of Steve Masterless. That can't happen and the Minutemen need to fix that. If you want a chance of winning these games, you have to make sure that the ball gets at the feet of those three players that I just mentioned. And this game was like watched Titanic. It was very entertaining, but you knew how it was going to end. Be sure to check out UMass Sports Weekly Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. only on UVC TV 19. Welcome back to Inside the Park. I'm now joined on the desk by Massachusetts Daily Collegian Assistant Sports Editor Ross Gianesco for the Sixth Minute Man to talk some UMass baseball. So, Ross, it's finally great to have you here on the show. Uh, thanks, man. Uh, it's good to finally be on here. I know we had to reschedule a few times, but uh, happy to make an appearance. Yeah, no worries about that. You know, we are certainly always very busy out there covering our games. Massachusetts Daily Collegian does it better than anyone else I know on this campus, but. Now let's get some. Let's get talking to some UMass baseball here, uh, Ross. This UMass baseball team is at eleven and eleven, which to some of us may even be an accomplishment. But you know, a lot of us don't exactly know what to expect. There were stretches like right now where the team has looked great, and during other stretches they've looked absolutely awful. So Ross, you're around this team a lot. What do you make of their identity so far this season? Um, well, I think more than anything else, they're they're a tough team. You know. If you, they don't jump out at you statistically in a lot of areas, um, but they they have more so this year than any other. They just kind of have a swagger around them. And last year they were they were five and ten in one run games. This year they're already five and two. So whatever whatever they're doing, whatever Coach Stones got them doing, they're they're playing tougher. They're playing more resilient. Uh, today against. Um, Hartford's a great example of that. They were, they led four to three, or four to one, going into the eight, <clears throat> the eighth inning. Uh, a couple errors made put the game at four to three. And I think that's definitely a game they they would have lost in the last few years. But this year they, they were able to rebound. Um, Evan McIntosh came in very composed for the save. So they they just seem to be pulling games out any way they can recently. And, you know, I've also been, you know, loosely following this baseball team as well. And, I mean, I know as in years past, this was a very unexciting baseball team to watch. And even towards, like, the beginning of this season, I almost felt the same way a little bit when, you know, I would see them getting crushed by teams like VCU, that game where they lost 16-3. to It was 
miserable. Couldn't. It was hard for me to watch the box score of that game, but uh, maybe it's just the fact that they're sick and tired of losing. And you know, now they get to those situations where in the late innings, and you never really feel like this UMass baseball team is ever out of it. It almost feels like this uh, this Minuteman baseball team always has a chance to compete in games, especially when they're close in the later innings. But moving sort of along along the lines of the same topic here, uh, the big weak spot with this team in years past has always been offense. And not only would the team not hit home runs, they would just struggle to score runs in general. But this season we've seen some more interesting baseball, per se. The team is on average scoring about 4.4 runs a game and closer to 5 runs a game in conference. And you, you and I both know how much Coach Mike Stone utilizes small ball in his strategy. So is Coach Stone doing something a little bit different this season? What can you really credit you know, this run production to? Um, I would say they, <clears throat> they've been executing their sacrifices and stuff just as well as they've done any year. Uh, last year they were 15-31, but I think in terms of execution it was pretty similar. The difference is they've been outstanding with runners in scoring position this year. Uh, Mike Giannellis had another big two-run double today. He had one over the weekend. Um, it just seems like, in, in general, they are such a tough team with two outs, and they've been a clutch team. With, with runners on base, which is something something they had a lot of opportunities to do in the last few seasons. This year, uh, it, it's contagious. It's, it's been started this weekend against St. Bonaventure at the start of that five-game winning streak, and it just seems like every time in a big situation, it's someone else making the hit with runners in scoring position. And as far as you know, players on this UMass baseball team, one player that you know I've certainly been paying a lot of attention to, Kyle Addy, the center fielder, I mean, certainly in conference, he has been really just tearing a new one for this team, hitting above 430 as far as I can tell for this UMass baseball team as far as in-conference games go. So he's you can always count on him to give you an extra base hit or just that clutch, that clutch single whenever you need it, not necessarily in the home run category. Again, that's just not what they do, but they're finding other ways to score aside from the big, long home run, utilizing more small ball like they have done in years past and what they continue to do this season. But, you know, let's move along to our next question here. This team has some interesting games coming up ahead in the next two weeks. After St. Louis will take on Connecticut, Boston College for that Beanpot Championship at Fenway Park. We'll get into that in just a little second. Then Florida Gulf Coast University, Hartford, and Quinnipiac. Now about that Beanpot, though, Boston College had already beat UMass earlier this season, 11-1, two weeks ago. It was a crushing game. UMass from the get-go never really had a chance in that one. Now that they're finally having a rematch... How do you think UMass can pull off an upset victory against the Eagles? Um, well, they're going to have to get a good effort from the starting pitcher, and whoever that may be, we probably won't know till after the weekend. Um, but they've been getting good contributions from from starters at the, at the bottom of the rotation. Uh, Brandon Walsh made, I believe, his first start of the year on Monday. He went six innings, picked up the win. Tim Cassidy making his second or third start of the year. Uh, not someone that pitches regularly on the weekends. He threw a complete game shutout uh, over Central Connecticut. And then uh, today, Ryan Venditti. So whoever starts is going to have to have a, a similar type of effort. Uh, Boston College, very good offensive team, led by uh, Chris Shaw, power hitter, big MLB prospect. Uh, he's had some injury concerns, so certainly a lot depends on if he's in the lineup or not. Uh, but it should be a good game. UMass is, as the weeks go on, they, it's clear they're a very different team than they were at the beginning of the year. 
because really the first time they got to step outside and, and, and play on natural grass and dirt was in their first game of the year. So obviously that puts you a little bit behind in, in the learning curve. So I would expect a much more competitive game against BC this time. And, around. you know, don't, just looking at it back in season pass, you, you'd always see this UMass baseball team start off a little bit slow just because, you know, we play up here in Amherst, Massachusetts, where the field is still covered in snow for half February going into March, and so they can't play outside. They have to take their batting practice inside, boy, in gymnasium. And, you know, even through all that hardship, you look at Coach Mike Stone, been with the program, I believe, now going into his 28th season. So, you know, being the correspondent for the UMass baseball team, like, how, do you, how would you describe interviewing Coach Stone? What's your relationship like with him? Um, he's very clear. He'll, he'll speak his mind. Uh, he's very knowledgeable about baseball. Um, certainly has a more experience than almost anyone else you'll ever ever meet in the baseball community. Uh, he's been very helpful to me in my, in my time covering the baseball team. All right, well, that sounds fantastic, Ross. And again, we're all looking forward to that Beanpot Championship against Boston College on Monday at Fenway Park. Should be a great time. Ross, thank you for coming on today. Thank you very much for having me. No problem. To read up more on the UMass baseball team, be sure to visit the Daily Collegian website at www.dailycollegian.com. We'll take another break, and after that, Jesse Corzin and I will talk some NFL. If the season were to start now, what would the standings be like in the AFC? Stay tuned. This is Inside the Park with Marky Mark. back to Inside the Park with Marky Mark. I'm again your host, Mark Jean-Louis, again joined by Jesse Corzin, and now we're getting into everyone's favorite sport, the NFL. Even though it's April, we'll still talk about it anyways, and everyone's favorite division, of course it's not everyone's favorite division, but our favorite division, well actually maybe not you because you're a Giants fan, but my favorite division I should say then is the AFC East. So let's pretend ourselves, we've seen a whole bunch of off-season moves, and let's pretend for a minute, if the off-season were to end today and the regular season were to start right now, who in the AFC East would finish first, second, third, and fourth? Jesse, I'll start with you. You know, you know, being a Giants fan, I really got to watch my tongue as as I'm going to UMass Amherst. So I got to start <laughs> yep. off. Don't worry, I won't kill you on the show. Maybe Dale out there will, but I won't. <laughs> so I got to start off with the New England Patriots finishing first. Um, it's great to see a guy like Devin McCourty coming back. Uh, unfortunately, they, they did lose Darrell Revis, unfortunately. But I do think the Patriots thing is really, they like to just sit back, watch their, the rest of their, the, the teams in the division, go crazy about making a bunch of moves, and they just smile and say, we're going to beat you anyway. Um, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, they always seem to make it happen, yep. and I really just see it happening once again, even though, even though they're losing uh, some, some guys like Darrell Reed. Yep. And that was my first team as well. It almost feels like you know the, the New England Patriots could just lose their entire team, but as long as you have Tom Brady and Bill Belichick running that organization, even Robert Kraft owning that franchise, you really don't even need to dig any further into them. I had New England going first as well. Now, who's your second team? Now, number two is really a difficult one. I really thought two of these teams could go hand-in-hand 
hand depending on how uh, certain positions um, play out. But I do have number two going to the Miami Dolphins. Uh, right. Miami Dolphins re-signed Ryan Tannehill to a big contract. I think he's going to be happy knowing that he's getting some money, and I think he's going to really step up. But the big name you got to talk about is Ndamukong Sue. The guy is mean, scary, giant. You put him on any defensive line, and regardless of it's the worst defensive line in the league, you put him on it, and they are then much better. Um, he's great at run stopping. He's scary coming at the quarterback. Definitely a huge, a huge addition. And they also got Jordan Cameron, who, you know, we've seen him do well. Uh, he can be a dangerous target at the tight end position. We'll see how he how he plays. Kenny Stills' addition, um, you, you know, he's young but but somewhat talented. We'll see um, how he could play. And you know, I, it took me a while to realize this, but honestly, right now we have the same one, two, one, two, three, four in our lines here. But yeah, number two for me was also Miami because. You know, of course, like you said, they have in Dominican Sue, the scariest defensive lineman in all of National Football League, whether it's on the field or whether it's the fact that he's going to chew off your neck at some point. Yeah, or stomp on your head. I don't know which one's going to come first, but honestly, even with that, I feel like when he's in the game and not getting fined, he's going to make any defensive line and a, the entire defense as a whole a lot better. You look at the backfield at what Miami has. They have Michael Thomas, a guy that made big plays last year. Will Davis, got to watch out for that corner safety duo. And on the offensive side of the ball, the the offensive side of the ball is outside of Ryan Tannehill is a little bit of a toss-up. Ryan Tannehill is coming off the best season of his career, but as far as that wide receiver core goes, you never really know who's going to step up for them. Right now, it's looking like their top two receivers are going to be Jarvis Landry and Kenny Stills. Both of them are not even that much older than we are. I mean, I'm 22, so it's like they're not that much older than us. As a matter of fact, they are 22 years old. I'm 22 years old. I'm sitting here. They're over in the NFL. What am I doing here? But, <laughs> but you know, I really like where Miami is going for this, and... I think the fact that Miami has the best quarterback out of Miami, Buffalo, and the New York Jets, I had them as my number two. Now, for my number three, personally, I had the Buffalo Bills. I love what they do on defense, and I feel like every single year outside of the Patriots, I'm rooting for the Buffalo Bills to get a wild card spot, but they can never just quite get there. You want to know why? Guess. They got no quarterback. Absolutely no quarterback. And as much as I love watching defense in the National Football League, you just absolutely need a quarterback in this league to succeed if you have anyone, if you want any chance to succeed. And right now they have E.J. Manuel. I'm the last guy in that E.J. Manuel bandwagon ever since his uh, Orange Bowl win against Northern Illinois. But a lot of people have jumped off the bandwagon since. Their other quarterback is Matt Castle. I really have no idea what's going to come from there. You know, you look at the Bills, and obviously the, the biggest, the most important position in, in the NFL is the quarterback, mm -hmm. and the Bills just don't have that right now. We'll see who wins that battle. I personally think it will be Matt Castle. I don't think he's going to be good enough to bring the Bills to number one spot in this division, but to be honest, I do love the offseason moves. You bring in a guy like Percy Harvin to line up alongside with Sammy Watkins, who I think will be uh, a top wide receiver in the league, possibly. Percy Arvin is just a dangerous threat. Mm -hmm. You throw him, you know, whether he's running slants down the field, reversal, whatever, he's dangerous. And, and the fact that Rex Ryan is in there now, you know, I think he, he has a big advantage over the Jets, who we have standing at number four. Number four, we gotta get. To, we can't leave out the Jets, even though we're running out of time for this time. We just have to touch on them really quickly. What do you like about the Jets? What do you hate about the Jets? The biggest move that they that they had uh, is bringing back Darrell Revis. You know, agreed. Their defense now is is definitely the strongest part of their team. You got Antonio Cromartie back. Their defense is, is, in my opinion, one of the the best in the league, let alone this division. Uh, that being said, 
they got no quarterback. You know, no quarterback. They have, a great, they have a great history of bringing in rookie quarterbacks and ruining their careers, in my opinion. I think they stay away from a rookie quarterback in the draft and really hope that Fitz, Fitzpatrick wins this battle and hopefully can do something, but I don't see that happening. And that's why I have them sitting at number four. I do think they have a great team bringing in Brandon Marshall, who will complement Eric Decker and, and allow Eric Decker to have a good year again, being that you know, he's a number two, he's not a number one. He's used to being next to Demarius Thomas. Hopefully that you know those two guys help the, the offense. Stephen Ridley, if he's not fumbling the ball, will compliment Chris Ivory, who's a you know strong, strong guy that runs downhill. But mm -hmm. you know without a quarterback, I just don't see them uh, doing too well this year. And I'll just basically echo what you said right there. They have gr they finally build up that defense again. They're they have a great defense inside of the ball. They have great. They're building up their running back slots, and you know they have options at wide receiver. But honestly, in this league, if you have no quarterback, that's almost like the biggest hole that you can have in your team. Too many questions at quarterback. Is it going to be Fitzpatrick? Is it going to be Geno Smith? Is it going to be Marcus Mariota? Will it be Jameis Winston if he falls down to the sixth spot? Honestly, I really don't think it matters. They're still in. A, they're, I think they're still destined for failure. Aside from soccer, though, the world of sports always has winners and losers. Today, our winner on this show for the week is. The Providence Friars men's ice hockey team. On Saturday, the Friars won their first NCAA championship at the TD Garden in Boston, beating the Boston University Terriers 4-3. And I guess a lot of that can be credited to the BU goalie dropping the puck in his own net, but I will not take that away from the Friars, what they were able to do. You know, I was just watching their, some of their games. I hadn't watched college hockey all season, but, you know, out of the blue, I just picked them as the dark horse to win it all, and they did. You know, my hat's off to them. I absolutely salute them. But with winners, we also have losers. And our loss of the week on this show goes to Sam Holtz. So this 12-year-old kid ended up winning ESPN's NCAA Tournament Challenge, filling out the most accurate of 11.57 million brackets entered. But since he's not 18, he wins nothing. No prize money, no trip to Maui, but... ESPN, as a consolation prize, is going to have him anchor an episode of SportsCenter. Is that really a consolation prize, though? Because, I mean, I mean, we're not 12 years old, but think about it. You can either have $20,000 and have one of the greatest vacations of your life in Maui that you'll be bragging about for the rest of your life till you die, or you can just, you know, try to brag to everyone and say, hey, I got to anchor an episode of SportsCenter, which it never really took me seriously anyways. I mean... You like sports, I like sports. Which one would you rather have? You know, obviously this is a no-brainer. You know, he's obviously very upset. Clearly it's going to be a cool experience for him to be on ESPN, but it's honestly a little embarrassing that they didn't give it to him and they're giving him this thing that, you know, in the grand scheme of things is as a value of, you know, zero to a million compared to, you know, what he should have won. It's completely not fair to kid. He, I mean, if he's smart enough to fill out the most accurate bracket, I think he deserves something. The kid's only 12 years old. Before we move on, though, we'd like to take a moment to honor Lauren Hill, the basketball player at Division III Mount St. Joseph University, located right outside of Cincinnati, Ohio. She passed away on Friday at the age of 19, having lost her battle to pediatric brain cancer. A player who loved basketball so much was just like every other high school student going to college when the tumor developed in her brain shortly thereafter. She went to her grave living her life to the fullest, happy as could be, and we on the show would like to take a moment of silence in her memory. Thank you. But now it's time for the closer, where we get one minute to answer you to listen to questions emailed to us at itpmarkymark at outlook.com. Today we have four questions. 
Jesse, let me ask you this first question. So your New York Knicks got outscored by the Orlando Magic on Saturday night, 8-7 to seven in the second quarter. How is that even possible? I don't know how it was possible, Mark, but honestly, both teams are just having a terrible season, and they both didn't want to win, so it was a battle of who didn't want to win more. Fred Fenn Fleet and Ron Baker will return to finish their college careers at Wichita State. Is it a good move? I think it's always a good move when you have Greg Marshall and one of the best backcourt shooting country. The one of the best backcourts in the all of college basketball coming back to Wichita, I think is a total win for the Shockers. Miami recruit Al Blaze Jr. stood on the Seminoles logo and flashed the U. The U sign to Miami's blood rivals Florida State. Do you see bad blood coming from this? I love the move on his part. I don't think it's bad blood. I think they really, you know, bringing that rivalry to the next stage. And he's a young player. He's new to the rivalry. And I think it's a great move. Last one. Game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. Quarterfinals, Pittsburgh versus my New York Rangers. Who do you got, Mark? Well, I mean, I got to say this one. The game's at MSG. The New York Rangers, the number two seed. Pittsburgh, I've never really been impressed with all season long. They're the seventh seed. So I think you combine that all together. Sidney Crosby or not, I'm having the Rangers with this one. I'm sure you're very happy to hear that. Of course, MSG is a great place. I've been to a bunch of games, and, you know, it's a great place to be. And I really think this is the year for the Rangers to go all the way. Yep, it's the Mecca. I feel like it's the Mecca of the NHL as far as NHL stands is concerned. I got to get myself down to MSG at some time. But that's it for us. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to the Inside the Park with Marky Mark Podcast free on iTunes. You can follow me on Twitter at Mark underscore G93. That's M-A-R-C underscore J-E-A-N 93. And Ross Gianesco at Ross G-N. That's R-O-S-S-G-I-E-N. Like the Inside the Park with Marky Mark page on Facebook. And if you'd like to email the show with your questions, send them over to ITPMarkyMark at Outlook.com. That's it for Inside the Park with Marky Mark. For Jesse Corzin, I'm Mark Jean-Louis. We'll be back in a few days for another sports-filled episode. Until then, thank you for listening. Take care, and let the NBA and NHL playoffs begin.